following lecture was produced by the Gnostic Academy of Chicago, a nonprofit organization, and is one of many available for podcast, download, and transcription. You can visit chicagonosis.org to find courses, articles, scriptures, commentaries, and other valuable resources that address a wide variety of spiritual subjects, interests, and needs. Through the generous support of listeners like you, the Gnostic Academy of Chicago has produced online courses, lectures, and articles freely available worldwide. If you have benefited from this knowledge, help humanity through making a tax-deductible donation at chicagonosis.org. If you are interested in attending the Gnostic Academy of Chicago in person, you may view our online class schedule and freely register at meetup.com slash chicagonosis. The Chicagoland Gnostic Academy provides humanity with the necessary means for transforming suffering and acquiring personal knowledge of the divine. With this purpose in mind, we now begin the lecture. May all beings be happy. It is my pleasure to serve as your instructor for Defense Against the Dark Arts. While a serious topic, we begin with an amusing reference to Harry Potter to emphasize two things. While white and black magic have captivated audiences in our popular media, entertainment, and movies, the reality despite its cute and intriguing representation. This is a crude reality. But more importantly, when studying this topic, we should always maintain our humor. Too many people, when approaching the study of light and darkness, white and black magic, have been filled with intense fear, anxiety, paranoia, or even morbidity, anger, distress. Ironically, people who experience psychic attacks often become very enraged, filled with hate for their persecutors. What such people ignore fundamentally is that these are weaknesses which are exacerbated and utilized by negative forces. We can only be manipulated so long as we have the ego, so long as we have conditions of mind. Therefore, to overcome temptations and attacks, we must conquer our own vulnerabilities, our own psychology. The purpose of this lecture is to identify various types of psychological attacks, but more importantly, what the remedies are 
But let's provide some context. Within the literature of Samael and Vior, who is the founder of the Gnostic tradition in which we study, countless initiates like him make ample references to what are known as black magicians, black magic, demons, sorcerers, witches, warlocks, etc. In truth, there have always existed and always will exist two lodges which are constantly in internal struggle, the white and the black. The White Lodge is constituted by beings who develop and express divinity for the benefit of humanity. Now the term white does not refer to race, but to the conditions or purity of the psyche. Whereas the Black Lodge is a reference specifically to the dullness the heaviness of desire, conditions, impurity. What is the Black Lodge? In truth, it is both collective, but more importantly, it is individual to us. There exist Black Lodges where people dedicate themselves towards what is known as mystical fornication which is the expulsion of the sexual energy for the egotistical acquisition of power. We are also a Black Lodge as individuals, as people. This is due to the fact that our own subconsciousness, our own unconsciousness, our own infra-consciousness affects us without even knowing. So while we may be interested in these studies, the truth is that we have the ego. We may not be aware that we carry these tendencies, but it does not mean that they're not there. And if you're seriously working with the practices of this tradition, you will start to see how we all carry affliction within the causes of suffering that many people like to blame others of possessing. As we strive for spiritual edification, ethical advancement, there are many obstacles that present themselves. These are always, in most cases, of a psychological nature. Anyone who studies and practices Gnosis eventually faces hardship. It is inevitable because the neophyte aspires to perfect him or herself. The law of karma provides ordeals. These are situations that are very difficult, which test our sincerity not out of punishment, out of blind retribution, but to help us discover our defects. Without hardships, you cannot discover your faults. 
the secret causes of pain. In truth, many scriptures relate this process. They always describe how divinity always tests the disciple. Yet for most people, facing hardship becomes an excuse to leave the teachings, to run away. Much like the character Gilderoy Lockhart in the Harry Potter series. People don't like challenges. They don't want to be afraid to face uncertainty, to be in struggle. People see how their life is falling apart. They maybe lose their job, their spouse, family members, friends. And then they blame Gnosis. They say, this is ruining my life. However, what people ignore or what those people ignore is that the teachings are working. Without challenges, we cannot grow. As Rumi stated, how can you be polished like a mirror if you resist every rub? This is why we learn spiritual self-defense. It is inevitable that when we awaken positively our consciousness, as we seek to understand ourselves, we begin to perceive a terrible dichotomy. It is a struggle between two opposing factors, our unconditioned free consciousness, the essence, and our own conditions of mind desire, animal ego, pluralized selves, defects, vices, etc. The manner in which our own inner negativity, our defects or egos, obstruct our development is known with the term resistance. I'll read for you a quote from Samal and Vior in The Revolution of the Dialectic. Resistance is the opposing force. Resistance is the secret weapon of the ego. Resistance is the psychic force of the ego that is opposed to us becoming conscious of all of our psychological defects. With resistance, the ego tends to leave on a tangent and postulates excuses to silence or hide its error. Due to resistance, dreams become difficult to interpret and the knowledge that one wants to have about oneself becomes clouded. Resistance acts upon a defense mechanism that tries to omit unpleasant psychological errors so as not to have consciousness of them. In this way, one continues in psychological slavery. Resistance occurs specifically when we practice chastity. As the former lecturer in this course mentioned, the moment you start to save your creative energy and use it for a spiritual purpose, you immediately face the opposing force, which is resistance, opposition. When we starve our animal impulses and desires, they fight. They don't want to die. They want to feed and to stay alive. The mind 
has many excuses for why we should fornicate, orgasm, masturbate, sleep around, commit adultery, watch pornography, and do every behavior that feeds and fortifies lust. Even if we know that these behaviors, if we study this teaching for some time, are mistaken. Even from a fundamental understanding and experience in our life. We still have the force of contention within our interior, which still pushes and fights to be expressed, to be nourished, to manifest. And this is very painful to see in oneself. In order to face this resistance, we learn different techniques, which is the purpose of this lecture. The ego knows it is going to die through this work. It is threatened. So it does everything it can to dissuade the sincere aspirant of Christ. But not only do we mislead ourselves and are filled with internal conflict, but there are entities and people within the physical and the internal worlds who dislike what we are doing. They don't like the audacity of the aspirants in this teaching because it is a threat to their agenda. We call these entities who have developed power in conditioned consciousness, the ego or hell realms, as demons. They have power and abilities, but through desire. They have strengthened the cage of their mind. They fortify hatred, pride, vanity, lust, greed. They have abilities. They can travel on the astral plane. They can travel in the fourth dimension. They can manipulate elemental souls of nature. They can influence and coerce the minds of others. They have power and abilities, which for the light person are very attractive, primarily because we are so hypnotized by our own desires. And likewise, we may assume and feel that we want those abilities. But usually, it is for selfish reasons. And this is something that is cap uh, capitalized upon by sorcerers. It is very easy to fool us because we are so asleep. So these entities see that we are working to eliminate desire and uh, develop abilities within divinity. Obviously, that is a threat. It is the opposite of what they do. And so they push very hard to pull the candidates for initiation away from the path of chastity. So how do we combat these forces? How do we face them when we are being influenced, manipulated, deceived, coerced? We use prayers. We use our consciousness most especially. We must comprehend and eliminate our own defects 
But most importantly, we need to develop the art of happiness. As Sam Alenvera states in Aztec Christic Magic, do not worry. Cultivate the habit of being happy. This is advice from a man who ever since he entered again upon the path of initiation has been assaulted by legions of demons, black magicians. The founder of this tradition, Samael and Vior, his innermost divinity is the archangel of the planetary influence of Mars. He has been known in Greeks by the name Ares, or the god of war against corruption and egotism. The Bodhisattva, or human soul, of the master Samael and Vior, the terrestrial person who was working to achieve self-realization again. In his lifetime, he received death threats, imprisonment, and even assassination attempts many times. He would give congresses and teachings publicly, and the Black Lodge would send many of their disciples and adepts to kill him. However, he always maintained his serenity, his happiness, his composure, and most importantly, his compassion. He knew that sorcery is overcome through conscious love, which is evidenced by his success in converting the demon Beelzebub into a master of the White Lodge. You can read The Revolution of Beelzebub for more details. At these congresses, where black magicians were sent to murder him, Salman and Vior would foil their efforts. He would use the power of his compassion and his serenity. He would greet his enemies and his friends by covering his solar plexus with his left hand and extending his right hand in the form of the Gnostic pentagram, saying, pas inverential, or inverential peace. Peace unto your innermost being. We know from these studies that this is a form of conjuration. To conjure, to invoke divine forces in order to elevate the souls of people around us towards the divinity, towards the being. And he would always do this at the beginning of lectures and congresses, which practically was a means of disabling these entities, these people. And because the force emanating from his inner being was so strong, like a battleship moving forward and immovable, these assassins became terrified. They refused to touch him. We, on the other hand, who like to think that we are so strong, are really very weak because our ego constantly reacts towards criticism and persecution. But in reality, the intimate Christ responds with love. As Sam Island Vior states in the book Sexology, the basis of endocrinology and criminology. The I, the myself, 
does not exist within Christ. Christ does not react against calumnies, slaps, mockeries, threats, whippings, etc. Christ overwhelms because of his terrific serenity. When crucified, Christ said only, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The I does not exist inside the Christ. This is why he neither reacts nor judges anybody. Christ is a perfect clairvoyant who knows how to see with comprehension, without judging, without translating, because he does not have the eye. Christ is the clairvoyant who sees, comprehends, and knows. Christ is the universal spirit of life incarnated inside Jesus of Nazareth. From the book Sexology. This is the fundamental skill, the basis of spiritual self-defense, which if you've listened to the first lecture or read the transcription, you see that the lecture mentioned how your state of mind is the most important key, the essence of protecting yourself. If you respond with consciousness, utilizing effective tools, expedient methods, you can transform even the worst situations into wisdom. Black magic is very common today. We like to believe that witches are an exceptional few who perform some very strange, elaborate, satanic rituals with a complex or obscure liturgy. While true within the internal planes, we experience attacks of black magic all the time. It is so pervasive and prevalent that we no longer see it. Because it is an integral part of our society and culture, which we are expected at all times to never question, to never confront. To do so is to be ostracized, to be condemned, like on social media or other outlets in which communication is very open. People think that these studies are irrational, superstitious, insane, or even cultish. But let me give you some examples of what we are talking about. When someone directs their anger at you, when someone attempts to manipulate or confuse you, to control or confound you, presenting words that do not match their intentions, he or she is performing black magic. Any action of a person that seeks to direct or inspire you towards egotistical behavior is an act of sorcery. And by this definition, we can see very clearly that all of us, without exception, are black magicians, sorcerers, demons. In synthesis, magic is merely the influence of the mind, the consciousness, the spirit over matter. It has nothing to do with circus performances or public stunts. 
like making people disappear in a cloud of smoke or cutting a person in half on stage. Magic constitutes some of our most venerated traditions. It comes from the 5,000-year-old Indo-European term, mag, which means priest. A magush, magushan, from Iranian or Persian roots, is a priest. This priesthood is about manifesting the power and energy of divinity to help humanity elevate its consciousness. Specifically, white magic calls upon divinity to influence matter, energy, and consciousness in accordance and harmony with divine law. It is pure. It is simple. It is not mixed with conditions or desires. Examples of such white magicians include Jesus, Buddha, Moses, Krishna, all the angels, all the prophets, the masters, the Buddhas, the gods. They have power to influence nature for the benefit of others, not for circus tricks or to impress people, but because they are manifesting divinity in their actions, which is selfless love, kindness, altruism, philanthropy, patience, aspiration, faith. The Bible speaks abundantly about the innumerable supernatural powers of these masters over nature. You simply have to look at the New Testament of Jesus walking on water or Moses utilizing white magic to free the Israelites from Pharaoh. Black magic, on the other hand, is the opposite. It calls upon egotism, selfishness, desire to intensify the conditions of matter, the conditions of energy, and the conditions of perception. All this is without any respect for the balance of nature and its eternal wisdom. So this is the question that everyone likes to ask. Who are examples of black magicians? The truth is that they're everywhere. They're within politics. They're within business. They dominate our movie industry. They work in advertisement. They work at the bank. They run our governments. And our religions especially have been influenced by many of these people. We like to think that black magicians are some perverse figures in groves, capes, tunics, tattoos, piercings, and spiked hair. The reality is that black magicians look like everyday people. They often have very sweet, serene, and pleasing appearances. Many of them are very kind, have a very amiable personality. This is why it's very difficult for people to discern who is really on the black path. It has to do with the ignorance of knowing our own psychology and then being able to understand the psychology of others. This ignorance is of great advantage and utility for such people because if you don't suspect the existence of these types of influences, then you won't protect yourself. 
So how do we recognize that they're black magicians? As Jesus said, by their fruits, you will know them. Where do they get their power? Where do they get their influence? Is it from within or is it from others? Black magicians always seek to gratify their desires by stealing energy from people because they don't create with the sexual energy in themselves. They seek to gain power. They seek energy. They seek attention by manipulating, coercing, and deceiving people. In truth, a black magician is very weak because they only have power and influence if we consent to give it to them. If we acquiesce our energy and will. A white magician respects the law, respects our will, and therefore does nothing to violate the harmony of nature. But the reality is that black magicians do not think their practice is harmful. And this is the scary thing. They're very ignorant. They state that they give people what they want. They say, we respect the law because it's an exchange. It's equal. But the reality is that this is a false logic. Feeding one's desires is a violation because when you condition yourself and others, you create a disharmony, an imbalance within the law. So while listening to this, knowing the difference between white and black magic can be very tricky. Samal and Vyar fortunately gave us a very simple clue, very obvious one, but it's effective. If you want to know the key for discrimination, ask these individuals if they practice chastity the conservation and sublimation of the sexual energy. Anyone who advises orgasm is a demon. It doesn't matter how much they speak of morality, of ethics, of God, of love. If they are expelling their sexual energy, then they have no energy by which to express divinity. They are instead manifesting desire. And if you've studied the laws of Manu, the oldest scripture on the planet, or one of the oldest scriptures, it states that desire is never eliminated by feeding it. It only grows stronger like butter added to a fire. So when you feed desire, it gets stronger. It needs more force, more energy, more attention, and then it becomes insatiable. This is a demonic quality. These people or entities, because they expel their own sexual energy, they have to steal it from other people because they can't create. And so this is a futile attempt to balance what they've lost. It's very simple. So people come, become very confused. How can someone who speaks so eloquently of divinity, of yoga, of Catholicism, of Judaism, of Gnosticism, of religion and spirituality, be a black magician. 
In truth, the ultimate weapon they use to mislead people is the intellect. They justify a behavior that produces suffering. It deepens it. There are many people who call themselves priests of divinity. And yet they are exercising their will upon others. They violate the freedom of their neighbor's mind. They pollute the minds, the hearts, and even the bodies of their followers. This is very common today. You look at many religions in the world and see the behavior of the priesthood. It is very shameful. This is because all religions have really divorced themselves from this essential practice, not only to conserve the sexual energy, but to transform it, to use it, to direct it. Abstinence is not enough. We have to conserve that energy, but use it with the consciousness. Otherwise it builds up and it'll feed our own repressed desires. It becomes a big problem, a monster, a demon. So we can act with unconditioned consciousness, which always produces harmony and cohesion. Or if we act with desire, the ego, the conditioned self, we influence others to act in the same way. You ever hear of mob mentality? Rioting, lynching. You ever hear what happened recently in the Capitol building in Washington, D.C.? Crowds impelled by violence. Black magic works upon the collective mind. It uses the noblest ideas to justify hell. Some people hear the term conjuration and they think that so-and-so, a witch, was conjuring me, as an example. So I conjured her back. Some people have a misconception that this has to do with when a black magician uses very elaborate demonic prayers to hypnotize or influence us. While as white magicians, we use elaborate liturgy, we use prayers to protect ourselves in response. This is true, especially in the internal worlds. Physically, it can be a little different. Conjurations have more meaning than a set of words, a sequence of mantras, sacred sounds, or prayers. To conjure comes from the Latin cum jurare, to swear together or bind by oath. This means, simply, in layman's terms, to influence another to resonate at a particular level of being, whether positive or negative, unconditioned or conditioned, superior or inferior. With this definition, I hope that this is much clearer because there are a lot of misconceptions about what black magic is and what the struggle is in the moment. Struggles between white and black magic occur when a person, intentionally or not, attempts to influence your conditions of mind, to get you to act a certain way, to react with pride, with anger, with fear, laziness, 
resentment, and most especially without you even knowing it, especially the defect of lust. That is the one defect that is capitalized and utilized by our media, our television shows, and by the Black Lodge. Pornography is a huge business that has misled millions of people. It is actually the primary weapon that the Black Lodge has used since the inception of the book, The Perfect Matrimony, by Samal and Vior. Samal and Vior was told internally that after writing The Perfect Matrimony, the Black Lodge was going to retaliate. So he waited many years looking at the news and waiting for someone to talk against him. But in truth, the way that the Black Lodge has been fighting against chastity is through that industry, through pornography. So we have to eliminate these temptations from our daily life if you really want to be serious to change. Because lust is a cause of suffering. It does not bring harmony and peace with oneself. So with conjurations especially, there does not need to be some sophisticated exchange or a battle with mystical mantras and words, which is often caricatured in modern media and films, like if you've seen the Harry Potter series, like Dumbledore versus Voldemort, something fantastic. There is that reality in the internal planes. But more practically for us, this has to do instead with whether or not we respond to egotistical impressions with cognizance, intelligence, and wisdom. Be ye wise as serpents and harmless as doves, says the Bible. So conjurations don't need to be specific formula. Although the best protection that we do have is the conjurations of the four, the conjuration of the seven, the invocation of Solomon and Fons Alpha. In order for these conjurations and prayers to work, we have to be awake is the essential point. Now, we should memorize these prayers, these formulas, because they have a lot of power. They're like an emergency distress call to divinity. They grant you access, like a smartphone, to an unlimited access of all sorts of wisdom, of protection, of knowledge. They are very vast. They have a lot of utility. However, for any of it to work, you have to be alert and trained in their use, in their apprehension, in their application, in different circumstances. Anyone can pick up a knife, a sword, or a gun. But the question is, are you trained to use them effectively in combat? The same is true with conjurations and prayers. Just because you repeat these prayers doesn't mean they will work. In truth, their success lies exclusively in the quality, the precision, the clarity of their application. Specifically, chastity is the power of prayer. If you have no sexual energy cultivated, you simply cannot empower your consciousness. It's like trying to drive a car without fuel. Or you're driving a vehicle and you are asleep at the wheel. You're not attentive about what you're doing. You simply cannot do it without getting hurt. 
In truth, your consciousness is the best weapon against any negative influence. So in synthesis, conjurations occur when two or more entities encounter each other. They form a type of matrix, a combination or influence of psychological atmospheres, emotional atmospheres, mind, mental influences, whereby a choice is made whether to follow the conditioned psyche or unconditioned perception. It's a pact that's made between two people. A psychic battle then, or struggle occurs when these two different entities meet. One who seeks to manifest the unconditioned consciousness while the other seeks to evoke the conditioned consciousness. So they seek to influence the other person to swear an oath to make the other person resonate at a particular level of being. Ever been in an argument? What's it like when you assert your will, your beliefs on someone else? Or what's it like to be attacked in a debate, even if but verbally? You ever have a verbal struggle with someone? I know we like to think that we live in a psychological bubble where we can think and feel whatever we want, seemingly without consequences, because no one else can know our thoughts and desires. This is an illusion, and it serves the agenda of many witches and sorcerers, because their crimes cannot be registered according to materialistic skepticism and the penal code. How can the law condemn something it does not accept, whose existence it rejects? So based on material criteria, the law ignores how a vast majority of crimes are committed beneath the radar because there are psychological and energetic methods to which a person can be influenced, extorted, manipulated, harmed. Judges, especially in Western countries, are very skeptical. And black magicians know it. So they use their ignorance to advantage. If you don't believe me that we are interconnected on a psychological level, I'll pose you some questions. Have you ever felt someone looking at you, even if your physical eyes have not seen them? If you're a woman, have you ever felt the lustful stares of men? without physically seeing them. Or when someone is angry at you, but says nothing. You know their intentions, even if there's no apparent evidence. These are psychological senses, which for most people in us, tends to be very blunted, they're dull and they're atrophied. The ability to sense another person's mental and emotional psychology is known as telepathy which for most of us is unconscious. It tends to be mechanical. It can happen spontaneously sometimes against our voluntary will. It's not conscious or intentional, mastered, developed. We tend to go through life on autopilot. We can sense people's feelings and their instincts, maybe their desires, but we don't have much clarity and depth. We don't really comprehend other people because we barely even understand our own thoughts, 
our own feelings, our own impulses. Because our psychology is muddled, we don't really perceive external danger when there is, when it's prevalent. However, when you practice self-observation and self-remembrance, you begin to notice the ways in which people, consciously or not, intentionally or not, exert an influence upon our own psychological states, for good or for ill. This is why in martial arts like Aikido, it's a Japanese form of self-defense, the best technique is to relax and be aware. If you're tense, if you're agitated, if you're afraid, you can make a mistake. Likewise, you can get injured. If you're not aware of your surroundings, if you're not paying attention to yourself, if you're not conscious of the technique, and if you're not aware of your opponent. Let's get some examples and how this relates to our psychology. Perhaps as a man, a beautiful woman approaches you, gives you a compliment. If you're not vigilant, you may not be aware of how your own lust, your own pride, your own vanity emerge in reaction to this impression. It's only when your self-observation is unfiltered that you're gonna perceive an interchange of egotistical desires, an exchange of forces, the influence of attention, of influence, of energy. However, self-awareness is really not definitive. You could be completely aware of committing a murder. A lot of people like to deify awareness as if it's a new thing, as it's as if it is the end-all, be-all of spirituality. In reality, you can do many mistakes with awareness, commit them with profound attention and concentration. Obviously, this does not make it right. The problem with many New Age sophisms is that they think that simply being mindful, being aware of your surroundings and yourself, that you're advancing. It's not true. It's not enough. Be aware, be attentive, be vigilant. But more importantly, be very deliberate about how you respond to life. You need superior action in these circumstances so that we don't complicate our karma and create problems. This is why some of your states in Fundamentals of Gnostic Education, wherever we direct attention, we expend creative energy. So the question is, where is our attention moving? Where is our energy flowing? A lot of people become fascinated with energy. They identify with it. They glorify it. Not understanding that it is merely the cosmic currency, the energy, the vital values that can be used for consciousness or ego. Having a lot of fuel in your car doesn't make your car better. It simply gives it the capacity to drive. How you drive is what matters. So are we using our energy for our consciousness to stay on the road, to obey the rules of the road? Or are we drunk with desire and therefore we get someone killed, get ourselves hurt? This is our spiritual situation because when we act upon our own defects, we create a lot of suffering for ourselves and for others. And people who intentionally commit black magic or even unconsciously do so, 
create a lot of suffering. So we have to be mindful of this. In the case of the example I gave you, the man who receives the compliment would most commonly saturate and feed his desires, would not question his lust, would not discriminate or analyze it, would simply give into it mechanically because it feels good. People give into desire because, first off, it's strong in us, but more importantly, it's more difficult to separate. Sensations are very convincing for people. But we have to get beyond sensations, whether physically or psychologically. So through self-observation and remembrance of divinity, we recognize the qualities of pure consciousness from the desires of lust, animal satisfaction. If you're really observant, you will see a transaction like a bank exchange. You see multiple egos that want to react to the situation. They all want to satisfy their desires to expend creative energy to feed lust. So this is conditioned perception. And it goes contrary to unconditioned perception, which is the essence. When you identify with desire, when you feed it, when you go along with it, you give it strength and energy. You condition yourself. And this is the problem. This is what must change. If you really want to protect yourself and really begin learning how to transform your situation. So we have to make a choice. I know a lot of people like to think that we don't, or some people fatalistically believe that we don't have agency. But the truth is that while we have a lot of conditions of mind, we still have the opportunity. We have 3% free consciousness that can work. 97% of it is conditioned, according to Samal and Vior. If you give power and space to your free consciousness to act without desire, then there's an internal transformation. A transformation of impressions occurs. So instead of acting with vanity and lust, the man in that example would maintain his chastity, would purify the energies. Not reacting out of desire or flirtation, but acting with purity and kindness equanimity and dispassion. In fact, by acting in this way, by restraining the mind, we conserve and liberate energy. We create a reservoir for our consciousness. So in most cases, for most of us, this is very difficult to do. We tend to ignore our heart, our intuition, our conscience that knows right from wrong. And this is what we have to follow in all circumstances. If you sense the situation is wrong, is problematic, you should probably really reflect on that and act according to your intuition. The intellect will debate, argue, theorize, label, and chatter in accordance with associative thinking, not really looking or having an answer. Don't use the intellect. Rely on your heart about how you must behave in life, how you must work, how you must change, how you must behave. Our being can influence our experiences for the benefit of everyone. But also our ego can assert its cravings and desires upon others to get what it wants. And this usually happens when we don't 
listen to our conscience. This always occurs at the cost and expense of others' well-being. Therefore, demons attempt to control others for the fulfillment of desire. That's basically it. They think that their desires are helping people, but they're not. They seek to control through conditioned perceptions the will of others. Here's a very clear demarcation between white and black magic. It's very subtle, but it's very beautiful. White magic is persuasion. We offer solutions, viable options to problems while respecting the will and freedom of other people. A black magician uses coercion. They seek to gratify their desires, no matter what the cost. They violate the will of others and don't respect other people's will. So examine your mind. How do you behave in certain situations? Do you act with altruism? Do you give to others without wanting for yourself? Are you patient when you're humiliated? When people deride you? Are you humble when you didn't get that job promotion when your neighbor did? Do you feel compassion for the person who crucifies you? Are you being selfless? Or do you try to get what you want in any way you can, even if in the mind? even if under the banner of friendship, of neutrality, and even friendly advice. Selfishness, desire, and ego have very distinct qualities. The me, myself, or I is characterized by a density, a heaviness. It's a state of suffering. It is hell. The ego is hell. The more selfless your actions, the more unconditioned and pure they are, the more compassionate, the more loving and philanthropic, the more kind, the lighter your states. You experience more freedom, more happiness, more contentment. You feel inspired when others succeed in life. You don't wish for their downfall, even in your mind. And even if you may tell yourself that you don't, you can access greater serenity and peace and equanimity even when the world is falling apart around you, as we see today. So you cannot learn to defend yourself spiritually from negative forces when your level of being does not change. If you're unaware of how your own defects, your own egos, your own desires, produce suffering for yourself and others, then there is no basis by which you can defend yourself because you're going to be an aggressor. Unfortunately, we are going to be black magicians in this case a demon, not a defendant. So demons won't bother you when you're acting on your desires. And especially when you're not practicing chastity. Such entities only try to obstruct you when you're making fundamental changes in your psychology, in your behavior. If you're not changing your level of being, or if you're not practicing chastity, then they're going to see you as one of them. So you'll be a perpetrator, not a victim in their eyes. So let's talk about some particular ways that black magicians attack us in the Gnostic path and also their remedies. 
in most cases when people are assaulted psychically it is in the internal worlds so when physically you go to sleep your consciousness leaves the body and enters the world of dreams known as the fifth dimension or hod within the kabbalah the tree of life it is the astral plane or better said the lunar astral plane because there is a superior astral plane and an inferior astral plane i know we like to think that we're spiritual but in reality because of our ego we gravitate towards those places in nature that resonate with our level of being. So there is a superior astral world for those angels and Buddhas and gods, which we can access when we free our consciousness, when we eliminate the ego. Those are very elevated and pure states. But for most of us, we tend to enter what is known as limbo. Limbo is the inferior astral world, which is where we tend to gravitate at night. It is the first sphere of hell within Dante's divine comedy. It is the lunar sphere within the inverted tree of life within the Kabbalistic diagram. Because we are filled with desire, we tend to go towards these inferior levels of nature because of our conditioning. And because of this, as we're beginning to wake our consciousness, we start to perceive ourselves in these realms. We wake up where we're at. We start where we're at. We don't begin in heaven because that's the goal. Instead, we have to learn to walk on our two feet in our current situation, our current psychology. So a lot of attacks occur at night when the body is asleep and when your soul or consciousness is within the internal worlds. These are mostly achieved through erotic means. There are black lodges that exist in the astral world where they have tenebrous members that are sent to make Gnostic students fall sexually. This is the cause of many wet dreams of disciples. You're starting to practice transmutation, conservation of the sexual energy. You learn the value of the sexual energy and seek to work with it. But these entities know that if you lose your sexual force, you become weak. And therefore, that is the primary target by which they seek to pull people, to mislead them or to discourage them. They know that when a student loses the sexual energy, they become disempowered. And if they have the kundalini risen to a degree in accordance with alchemical work, that serpentine fire descends down the spine in accordance with the magnitude of the fault. So there are many remedies that we use to protect ourselves in dreams and even before we go to bed at night. If you access this lecture's PDF later on, you'll see that all these highlighted texts have links and resources that you can follow and study if you wish to learn more about any particular part of these practices. So the first one we will talk about in defending your home, whether before you go to sleep or when you're in the astral plane, is the mantric prayer Belilin. We have an image of an angel representative of Erok, who some of your states was the master who delivered this conjuration and prayer. The angel Erok is an angel of power. And Belilin is a beautiful word, which has Hebrew and I believe even Aramaic roots. Bel refers to the light of divinity. Belilin invokes 
the forces of the region of Barbello with a Gnostic esoteric cosmology. We know from esotericism that the angels create through the power of the verb. Therefore, when we speak with intentionality and with focus on sacred sounds, we create a conduit or channel by which divinity can act within us in accordance with the level of our psychological purity, our sexual purity. We remember that the angels sing or sung at the creation of every cosmos. They did so with profound love and emotion, remembrance of the truth, empowered through the force of chastity in the Holy Spirit. So likewise, when we perform these prayers, these sacred songs, this song of Belilin, which you have to sing, you have to do it with superior emotion, with longing, with concentration, with faith, with an understanding of how this mantra works. It's sung. It's a song. And like with the other conjurations, I'll recite them for you, for your understanding. You sing it like this. Belilin, 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 Amphora of salvation. I would like to be next to you. Materialism has no power close to me. Belilin, Belilin, Belilin. If you're awake in the astral plane and you pronounce these mantras, you can do them three times in sequence. You will see a spiritual wind appear that will like a hurricane sweep away all negativity and negative forces from you. It is the force from the Ain soft ore, the limitless light above the tree of life. So in synthesis, we can pronounce these prayers before we sleep, especially when we prepare for bed or even before alchemy. So sexual magic trains our body, heart, and mind never to fornicate. And therefore, if we're diligent with using these prayers, nocturnal pollutions will cease. And Belilin can protect oneself from these negative materialistic forces. The amphora has to do with our soul, which receives salvation or the positive spiritual influence of the solar energy, bell. From bar bello, bar, the fire, and bell, the light of Christ. There's another very powerful prayer we use, a conjuration. Notice the conjuration of Jupiter. Jupiter is the father of the gods. Yod, he, vau, he in Hebrew. Christ the solar power that wields the power of the Holy Spirit, the lightning or Vajra of the great heroes, the divine, eff- uh, the divine energy, which can really reject any inferior influence. 
Jupiter reminds us of Eo Patar, the stone of Eo. Eo is the divine mother, and Patar, Pater, the father, is the masculine projective force. This lightning energy is the ray of divinity. It is the ray of justice, according to Samal and Veor. It is the power used by Zeus and Indra to punish and reject demons. So when you perform this prayer, you cover your solar plexus with your left hand and you extend your right hand in the form of the pentagram, which means your pinky and ring finger close to your palm, the middle finger, index finger, and thumb extended. So you see often the picture of Jesus who raises his hand in the form of the Gnostic pentagram, which is a symbol of the human being in the image of God perfected. You say, in the name of Jupiter, father of all the gods, I conjure thee. And the mantras, Tevigos ko Salim. These words, Tevigos ko Salim, constitute an internal language, the superior language of divinity. And when you concentrate your will, your consciousness, your attention, in this prayer, you are sending out a ray of light or energy from your fingertips. So you extend your hand that is in the form of a pentagram towards whatever entity is trying to harm you or who you question. I remember once, many years ago in the astral plane, I was being pursued by a black magician who was trying to disguise herself as a sibling or family member of mine. And I used this prayer saying this conjuration and I remember a beam of light shooting out from my fingertips and it struck her immediately transformed her appearance and unveiled her true identity because when you work with the power of Jupiter, Zeus, yod you're conjuring or making this entity resonate with superior forces so that their identity is revealed. But also this conjuration can disable and disarm the energy of a black magician. I've used this once even on a witch who was trying to tempt me. And many other times you can disable these entities from trying to retaliate and to pursue you further. So it's kind of like being hit with a stun gun almost. It really disorients the entities you're trying to protect yourself from. We also have the magic circle. Before you go to sleep at night, before you meditate or perform any ritual, such as alchemy, you can concentrate on your heart, invoke your divine father and your divine mother. Ask your being to command your elemental advocate, who is a part of your being responsible for performing elemental magic, of which we're gonna elaborate on today as well. This figure is like an angel with a sword of fire. You imagine this entity or your inner being tracing a circle of fire around your home. You could do it clockwise if you want. There's, there's really no uh, 
specific direction you need to do it, but I always do mine left to right, circling around either a bedroom or my home. So you trace this circle with your imagination and your willpower, pronouncing the mantras, Helion, Melion, Tetragrammaton. This mantra invokes the light of Helios, the cosmic Christ, the Tetragrammaton, to descend in order to trace an energetic field, a barrier that will not allow for any negative entity to enter your space. So this is particularly good if you want to really go deep in your practice, if you feel that you're being attacked. More importantly, if you live in any, really anywhere nowadays, you lock your door at, at night when you go to sleep, especially in the city. For those of you who may live in the urban areas where it's safer, you might not lock your doors. But internally, we should lock our home every day, every night before we go to sleep. So you should trace this circle with your imagination and willpower so that no entity can trespass. And if you wake in the astral plane, you can see, if you, especially if you trace the circle with a lot of faith, a circle of light or fire encompassing the area that you've uh, protected. And any entity that may try to get in will not be able to, unless you allow it. The magic circle will break if you physically walk outside the area that you trace. So be mindful that if you, for example, trace a circle around your bedroom and then physically you get up to use the restroom, you break the circle if you leave that area. But it's good to remember to retrace it when you go back. Personally, I like to trace the magic circle around my entire home so that if I need to move around to any room or area, I don't break the circle. Just some practical suggestions. We can also work with the aloe plant. Elemental magic is tremendously powerful because the souls of nature, the souls of plants, are still in Eden. Now, we study what is known as the cosmic transmigration of souls, in which consciousness develops from a very virginal state within the mineral kingdom graduates through many millions of years of evolution in order to enter the plant kingdom. And after many millions of years of experience as different plant bodies, the souls of those beings enter into the animal kingdom, graduating into different degrees and hierarchies of existence in accordance with the complexity and development of the elemental perception. Until finally, after many millions of years of existing in animal bodies, the soul graduates to become a humanoid, which is us. Now, I know a lot of new age groups like to work with stones, the souls of minerals. But unfortunately, the great majority of those exercises are black magic, primarily because if you've read the writings of Samal and Vior, he says explicitly how the hell realms are the infernal or inferior mineral kingdom. So when souls enter into the black path, when they develop powers and ego, they descend within the internal planes into greater states of density and suffering within the inner layers of the earth. This is symbolized within the divine comedy of Dante. Minerals or mineral elemental souls are not really developed. 
they don't really have as much force or hierarchy in comparison with plants. This is why we emphasize plant magic so much within our studies. If you click on this link for the aloe plant, you will read a chapter from Igneous Rose, which is a powerful book that teaches how to work with the elementals of nature, the souls or plants of creation. So the plant of the aloe is related with reincarnation, according to Samal and Vior. If you want to remember your past lives, you can meditate on the soul of this plant, concentrate and visualize it in your imagination, and then fall asleep, asking to converse with the elemental of this plant, the soul, so that you could remember your past existences, your past states. Now, specifically for protection, the aloe is very effective. You can hang a piece of silver or a crucifix. Someone Vera mentions you can hang the pot or hang this plant on a wall. It has tremendous solar properties. The beauty of the aloe plant is that it's very resilient. It can often survive and subsist in homes in which there's not much light because it absorbs the solar light within the atmosphere, within the internal planes as well. So he also states that the aloe plant is very powerful for rejecting negative influences. We can use the aloe for many rituals, for healing, for protection, for remembrance of past lives. It's really a very eclectic plant. And he says that we should always have an aloe in our home because it purifies our environment attracts good luck and solar force, the forces of Barbello, the light. There's a prayer we use when we concentrate on the plant, asking our elemental advocate, our inner being, to command the soul of the plant to work for us. These prayers have to be done daily, consistently. The prayer goes like this. Cross, thou art holy and divine, Sorcerers and witches withdraw from this home. Such persons who intend to arrive here, let it be known that I am with God. Sovereign God, set me free from treason and ruination. Blessed be the most holy Mary and the consecrated host. Remember that the elemental advocate is a part of our innermost being who developed and acquired knowledge when we were evolving through the elemental kingdoms, especially through the plant kingdom. And so our inner being, our elemental advocate or part of our divinity has a very profound knowledge of how the souls of nature work. And so plants are basically like a conduit that can channel certain forces. They have a certain purpose and medicinal purpose or application. For our purposes, we use what's known as elemental therapy. We command the souls of these elemental forces in accordance with the will of divinity and harmony with karma, with the divine law. We don't command the aloe plant or other souls of nature with selfishness, but in accordance with the balance of divinity. So there's other ways in which we can be attacked. Many times in the vigil state or the so-called vigil state, we're physically in our bodies. We can often be tempted by the opposite sex, sent by the Black Lodge in order to pull us from the path. Now, if like in this image, we have a clouded mind, 
if we're not paying attention to our own psychology, if we're not aware of our own intrinsic egotistical urges, how they feed, how they manifest, how they interact with the world, we will not recognize the danger and we can fall into lust. We can use the mantric song, Belilin, in order to establish an atmosphere of purity, devotion, chastity, serenity, and faith to rely on our being. So if you want to clear your mind of obscurities and negative influences, you can use the mantras, Belilin, that prayer. Like a whirlwind, it'll sweep up the dust of our psychological and even physical environment. Better said, our the energies in our home. Now, there are other ways in which black magicians can influence us. Very famously within the Caribbean, there are examples of voodoo, such as with dolls, in which adepts of the Black Lodge utilize dolls and pins, needles to inflict pain on their victims. They concentrate and imagine with their ego, their desires, and concentrate their hatred towards these people and utilize the pins in order to pass psychic harm upon them. There are also other ways in which we can be influenced negatively. There are often, according to Salman Viora, inexplainable black spots which can appear on one's skin. Maculae, he calls them. In which we experience kinds of types of sicknesses that we can't explain, even with the best medical treatments. There are also other substances that are used, such as funerary substances, according to the master, which are transmitted consciously or unconsciously. This is astral and etheric larvae, which people can pick up from graveyards or cemeteries. We don't recommend visiting these places unless you really have to, because they're environments that are filled with pestilence and a psychic level. They are black lodges, essentially, because black magicians use these polluted and decaying substances within the internal worlds in order to direct them at their victims. So black magicians can utilize them in order to make us sick, to infect us. There are many sicknesses that start in the internal worlds and then they manifest physically. Since our astral and mental vehicles our vital body possesses its own energy, its own materiality, its own ultra physiology with organs and health, etc. There are many unexplainable sicknesses that occur for people, such as delirium or psychosis, even madness, paranoia. Many students write to us on our website about having mental illnesses when they start this teaching. And they face many types of perceptions that are very terrifying for them, which traditional medicine would denominate as delusions. But of course, there is a certain subjective reality to these perceptions. They are real in the sense that they exist and that they have a type of experiential dimension, but they are particular and subjective to the conditions of the person's psyche. So many people can get sick, they can get mentally ill diseased. They have certain obsessions or problems that they can't resolve. They're afflicted mentally. And 
even going to the best doctors, they can't be healed. They can't explain why they're suffering so much. There's a story of one instructor from Glorian who mentioned in his lecture on compassion, the first in that series, how he became very sick and investigating internally after the doctors couldn't help him after about a week, he had the experience of a student of his or a student he knew who in the internal world was a black magician, one of his egos. He was unconsciously practicing black magic and therefore was making him sick. So he confronted the issue with a lot of compassion and understanding and eventually resolved it, became healed again. So there are other ways in which we can heal these types of illnesses if we don't necessarily have enough consciousness to investigate internally. There's different methods that we can use, specifically exorcism, exorcisms and healing methods. Now the definition of exorcisms is to call up or conjure spirits or to claim an isolated spirit, meaning to take control of negative influences or also to bring forth positive influences. Exorcisms are commonly utilized to purify our environment. So our psychology is often built and made up of four elements. Earth, air, fire, water. Earth, the physical body. Air, the mind, its thoughts. Fire, the emotions. And water, our creative sexual energy. It's good to utilize exorcisms for the elements in order to heal ourselves to purify the elements we take in so that we have a better atmosphere by which to work. There are four exorcisms that we'll cover in a future lecture for the earth, air, fire, and water. You can access them at the end of this lecture in our resources. Now specifically, it's important that when you recite these exorcisms, we do them in Latin, not English, because Latin is the language that is most in tune with the forces of nature than any of its derivatives, according to the Gnostic prayer book. So specifically, one exorcism that we use is for salt when we want to perform healing. So if you have an illness that you really want to treat, there's a powerful prayer and method you can use that does not have side effects, unlike many other treatments today. Now, if a person is suffering under works of black magic, like voodoo dolls, funerary substances, organic illnesses. You can work with the exorcism of salt and perform this particular ritual that I'm going to explain. It's important to remember that salt is inherent to life. Salt alchemically represents the brute semen or the entity of sperm and ovum. As Jesus stated in the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 13, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Now, what is this salt of the earth that, if it's lost its savor, will no longer be good for anything? It has to do with our sexual energy. Now, it's important that we purify our body, our mind, our heart. This is why we practice transmutation. But if you work with the elements of the salt, through a particular exorcism, you can bless salt and use it to purify your home and environment, but also to invoke healing. So particularly for the ritual I'm going to explain, you will need a table, 
with a glass of pure water, either for yourself or for any sick patient you want to heal. So this is where the masters of medicine will place healing substance within the internal worlds during and after the ritual you're going to perform. A white cloth should decorate the altar where the water is placed. It's important to have a crucifix and a white candle as well. So the theurgist or the magician, the exorcist or healer can sit. But personally, I like to stand up when performing this with the prayers and invocations, mostly because it's more assertive, gives more power. Other concerned people who may be related to whomever you're trying to heal can be present so long as they possess some level of faith and are not going to mentally affect the patient. You're going to place a metal skillet or a heavy pan with rubbing alcohol on the floor. You want to put this away from other objects to maintain safety because you're going to light a fire. You'll need to exercise salt. Doesn't matter what kind, really. The purer, the better, obviously. And then you're going to place it within the alcohol. Now, let me recite for you this exorcism of salt. Place your left hand over your solar plexus, your right hand in the form of the pentagram over the salt, and perform the Latin prayer. Inisto salis sapientia et omnicroptione servimentis nostras et corpora nostra, per hoc mael in virtut rua hoc mael, resident ab isto fantasmata hale ut sit sal coelestis, sal teri et teri salis ut nutritur bos titurans et aretspe nostria cornea tari valantes. Amen. Basically, in Latin, translated, it has to do with purifying the wisdom, the sapience of the salt so that it is not corrupted to serve our, merely our corporal or bodily needs, but through the spirit of Hokmah, the Christ, the virtue and spirit of Ruach Hokmael, so that it can purify this element for the benefit of our body, heart, and mind. Place the salt in the alcohol, and when you're ready, light a match, drop it into the the pan, and then you're going to stand back as the fire ignites and lights up into the air. Now, obviously, you want to be careful with how much alcohol you put in it. You don't want to put too much, but enough so that with time and practice, you'll be able to better gauge it uh, for being able to sustain the fire long enough so that you can finish the conjurations and prayers that we're going to relate to you now. So basically, the power of the salt that's been blessed and the fire from the alcohol opens up a conduit. It opens up the atmosphere in the astral plane so that the masters of medicine can descend within our home, the masters of healing, and then they can help the sick patient. Now, if you have multiple people that you're trying to heal with this ritual, you want to have a cup for each person. Now, designate if you have more than one person you're trying to work with, you should have a cup designated for each individual with clear water, pure water. You should uh, basically have each people concentrate on their glass and on their imagination to see the masters of medicine descend from Barbello down to deposit their particular healing within the water. When you are performing this ritual, when the fire is 
ignited and immediately you have to recite the invocation of Solomon. So imagine the clouds parting. Personally, when I've worked with this ritual or even having awakened in the astral plane, I've been able to see that through certain prayers like this, you will see in the astral atmosphere the clouds part and the angels in the Ain soft or the limitless light looking down. So this is a very practical and very real thing. Imagine these entities healing the patient, healing yourself. Recite the following prayers from the invocation of Solomon. Powers of the kingdom, be ye under my left foot and in my right hand. Glory and eternity, take me by the two shoulders and direct me in the paths of victory. Mercy and justice, be the equilibrium and splendor of my life. Intelligence and wisdom crown me. Spirits of Malkut, lead me betwixt the two pillars upon which rests the whole edifice of the temple. Angels on that Tzachan of Hod, establish me upon the cubic stone of Yasad. O Gedalael, O Gebedael, O Tifereth, Binael, be thou my love. Rochokmael, be thou my light. Be that which thou art, and thou shalt be, O Keteriel. Ishim, assist me in the name of Shaddai. Kerubim, be my strength in the name of Adonai. Bani Elohim, be thou my brethren in the name of the Son, and by the powers of Sabaot. Elohim, do battle for me in the name of Tetra Gramathon. Malachim, protect me in the name of Yod Hava. Seraphim, cleanse my love in the name of Eloah. Hasmalim, enlighten me with the splendors of Elohim and Shekinah. Aralim, act, Ophinim, revolve and shine. Chayot Kadosh, cry, speak, roar, bellow. Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. Shaddai, Adonai, Yod Chava. Eheye, Asher, Eheye. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. 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 If you study the link in this PDF, you will see the video recited by another instructor, as well as graphic representations of which verses relate to which sephirah on the tree of life. Each of the spheres of sephiroth represent different qualities of being and different classes of angels. And so when you work with the invocation of Solomon, you're calling upon the angels of those different dimensions and those spheres to descend down within the entirety of the tree of life. So I recommend you study the link to this prayer. We're going to give an entire lecture on this prayer itself, but I want to just sum it up for you in synthesis. Also, when you finish the invocation of Solomon, when you're performing the ritual with salt and alcohol, you can perform a prayer to the soul of Logos for healing. This prayer to the Gnostic church is also very powerful for when you're doing runes. As you can see in this image of a woman in the form of the rune man with arms upraised, receiving the fluvia or solar energy of divinity. This prayer is also very powerful for healing. I recommend you use it when you're working with this ritual. It's recited like this. O thou, solar logos, igneous emanation, Substance and consciousness of Christ, powerful life, whereby everything advances. Come unto me and penetrate me, enlighten me, bathe me, go through me and awaken within my being. All those ineffable substances 
there is much a part of thee as a part of me. Universal and cosmic force, mysterious energy, I conjure thee. Come unto me, remedy my affliction. Cure me from this illness and take apart from me this suffering so I can have harmony, peace, and health. I ask thee in thy sacred name, which the mysteries of the Gnostic Church have taught me, so thou can make vibrate with me all of the mysteries of this plane and superior planes, and that all those forces together may achieve the miracle of my healing. So be it. The solar logos is Christ, and that igneous fire or emanation, that substance and consciousness, will descend down in order to enter the water of the glasses in which you are asking for medicine for the masters of healing. Also, for those who are sick and attacked by larvae, you can also, as a medic or a priest, as a Gnostic doctor, perform magnetic passes over a patient's aura. Remember that our psychological atmosphere resonates with our aura, our energy, our expression, and that we often carry within our psychological and psychic environment different elemental substances which are, tend to be very negative because our mind attracts these forces. So if you purify your home with these conjurations and prayers, you can also cleanse your aura by imagining as you pass your hands over the aura of yourself or a person that you're grabbing these negative forces and then you take them and throw them into a lit brazier. You have to have some kind of fire going like some hot coals or a hibachi grill even, in which you imagine taking these negative auric substances and then throwing them into the fire because the fire physically is the vehicle of Christ. It purifies our environment, our home. In order to finish with the invocation of Solomon as well as the prayer for the salt and alcohol, you can recite the conjuration of the seven as well. So invocation of Solomon, prayer to the solar logos, conjuration of the seven, when you want to perform the ritual with salt and alcohol. Now, when we work with the conjuration of the seven, this is especially useful for eliminating toxic substances and also purifying our environment. This prayer invokes the seven mighty archangels who govern the seven spiritual planetary rays, moon, Mercury, Venus, Sun, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn otherwise known as Gabriel, Raphael, Uriel, Mikael, Samael, as well as Zachariel and Orifiel. So let me recite this for you in synthesis. In the name of Mikael, may Jehovah command thee and drive thee hence, Havayot. In the name of Gabriel, may Adonai command thee and drive thee hence, Baal. In the name of Raphael, be gone before Eliel, Sam Gabil. By Samael, Sabaoth, and in the name of Elohim, Gibor, get thee hence, Andromelech. By Zachariel, et Sachiel, Melech, be obedient unto Elva, son of Gabriel. By the divine and human name of El Shaddai. And by the sign of the pentagram which I hold in my right hand. In the name of the angel Lanael, by the power of Adam and Eve, who are Yod Chava, be gone, Lilith. Let us rest in peace, Nahemah. By the holy Elohim, and by the names of the genii, Kashiel, Shahaltiel, Afiel, and Zarachiel, 
At the command of where we feel, depart from us, Moloch. We deny thee our children to devour. Amen. 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 Recite this conjuration when you're cleaning your aura as well. It helps to reject the seven primary arch demons of the Black Lodge because they are entities that are so big and malignant, powerful, that conjuration of the four is not useful for that, which I'm going to elaborate a little bit later on here. But the conjuration of the seven is especially necessary when defending yourself, especially when the entity is beyond your capacity. I personally have had many unfortunate encounters with one of these archdemons mentioned in the Conjuration of the Seven. And I remember in one instance, this entity appeared much in the form and size of like a Balrog from the Lord of the Rings, with huge horns and a big demon. So there's some relevance to these cultural icons that we find in fantasy films. You know, pretty interesting and disturbing actually. But let's continue with some more prayers. It's important to utilize practices that heal our heart. The elemental of the rose is exceptional for spiritual and emotional healing, to heal psychological and emotional traumas. This prayer invokes a master by the name of Janos, spelled L-L-A-N-O-S. Salman Vera mentions that we should pray to this master relating to the spiritual influence of the planet Venus. You pronounce his name. Yanos, Yanos, Yanos. Help me. Yamador, Yamador, Yamador. These prayers and mantras invoke this master of the ray of Venus in order to help heal our heart. Specifically with this prayer and practice, you place three glasses of pure water on a white table or a cloth altar. Place a rose in each glass. Trim each so that the flower blossoms above the water line. You bless and you consume each glass before drinking. So before breakfast, you drink the glass facing east. Before lunch, the glass facing north. Before dinner, the glass facing west. So this follows, this sequence, the trajectory of the sun, the solar logos, which astrologically relates with Venus within the Kabbalistic sphere of Tiferet. So when you do this, you have to pray for emotional healing, whatever pain you're feeling. And it's important that when you're performing the magic of the roses, that you really ask for help. Now, oftentimes when we protect ourselves against negative influences, we have to make sure the quality of our heart is pure as well. So the magic of the rose is especially great for fortifying superior conscious superlative emotion, compassion, conscious love. There's another technique we can use. We can trap witches and stop them from harming us within the physical and also the internal planes. Now, we know from the writings of Samal and Vior that witches or female sorceresses often travel through hyperspace, known as the fourth dimension. They place their body within the inverted 
inferior vital world, the fourth dimension, in order to travel across the world or globe to affect students like vampires. They steal the energy of their victims. There's a lot of literature throughout the world that relates this reality. Especially you can read the book, Mystery of the Golden Flower by Samal Anvior. He explains this. Now, these witches often come and attach themselves and even copulate with their victims to extract their energy by hypnotizing and manipulating them. These are the images of hags or old women who rejuvenate their health and youth through vampirism, as I said earlier. A lot of these beings cannot create on their own, so they steal force from others. We can defend ourselves from them by placing black mustard seeds and steel scissors open as a cross. So we have to remember that the seed is the sexual energy. Black mustard seed has very powerful potencies for trapping witches when you combine them with steel scissors, especially in the form of a cross, like you see in this image. This works to cut and sever their abilities to travel in the fourth dimension. So usually we keep scissors underneath our bed, especially you can do it in a box, fill it with seeds, black mustard. You can also place small vials of black mustard seed and put them in the corners of your home, like the four corners of your bedroom or throughout the perimeter of your house or home. Very effective. Will neutralize their ability to affect you. There are other ways in which we can be affected. We can become obsessed with fixed ideas. People are often filled with mania and lust. And oftentimes, people who attend seances filled with mediums tend to be infected with astral larvae, which make people obsess over ideas or actions and behaviors. Most notably, one of them is lust, especially pornography and fornication. So while a person can remove these temptations from their physical life, they may have the impulse and desires for that state internally. And this can be um, influenced by witches and sorcerers. The best way to defend oneself from breaking these obsessions, purifying one's aura especially, is the conjuration of the four. Now, the conjuration of the four, unlike the seven, works with the four elements, earth, air, fire, water, mind, heart, body, and sex. And specifically, as the conjuration of the seven rejects the seven primary archdemons of the Black Lodge, the conjuration of the four rejects their legions. We can use smudges of sage and rue while reciting the conjuration of the four. So remember that if you feel obsessive over some type of uh, behavior or idea, or if you feel like you're being influenced negatively, if you feel heavy of mind, you can calm down by using this conjuration and smoking yourself with sage and rue. I'll recite this conjuration briefly. It's, most of it's in Latin, and the translation you can access via the PDF. Caput mortum, impede tibi dominus per vivum et devotum serpentem. Kerub, impede tibi dominus per adam yortava. Aquela erens, impede tibi dominus per las tauri. Serpens, impede tibi dominus tetragrammaton per angelum et leonem. 
Mikael, Gabriel, Raphael, Arael. Fluot Udor per Spiritum Elohim. Maratim Tara per Adam Yod Chava. Fiat for Momentum per Yod Chava Sabaoth. Fiat Judicium per Ignim in Virtute Mikael. Angel of the blind eyes, obey or pass away with this holy water. Work winged bowl or revert to the earth, unless thou wilt that I should pierce thee with this sword. Chained eagle, obey my sign. And at this point, you can do the form of the cross. Left hand on your solar plexus, your right hand in the form of the pentagram. Trace the cross by tapping your or gesticulating towards your head, your heart, and then down towards your sexual organs. And then raising up to your left shoulder, crossing over your heart to your right shoulder. So this sign is the form of the cross in which we're protecting ourselves. And when you perform the conjuration of the four, you're working with the cross, the four elements, to balance your mind, heart, body, and sex. Chained eagle, obey my sign, or fly before this breathing. So with the sign of the cross, we're also performing the symbol of transmutation because the Father is in the head, the Christ or Son is in the heart, and the Holy Spirit is in sex. But it's not enough just to leave the hand towards that area, but to raise it up towards your left shoulder, relating to Gebrah, justice, severity, the divine law that knows how to work with chastity, tracing it over your heart to Vareth, your human soul, and then to your right, the right shoulder, the spirit, Chesed. Writhing serpent, crawl at my feet, or be tortured by the sacred fire and give way before the perfumes that I burden it. Water return to water, fire burn, air circulate, <clears throat> air circulate, Earth, revert to earth. By virtue of the pentagram, which is the morning star, and by the name of the tetragram, which is written in the center of the cross of light. Amen, amen, amen. It's also important to have pentagrams at our home. You can place them before entranceways, especially if you feel like you're being attacked. You place the bottom two legs towards the entrance of the door so that when you're coming in, to a room, the vertex or the point of the head is facing inwards towards the home or towards the area that you want to protect. So the pentagram should be upright. Specifically, the Gnostic pentagram, according to Samal and Vior, is the human figure with four limbs and one unique apex, which is the head. The sign of the pentagram is also called the sign of the microcosm. It represents what the Kabbalist rabbis of the book Sohar call the microprosopos. When the superior point of the pentagram is aiming upwards towards the sky, it represents the savior of the world. And it rejects the legions of demons you want to protect yourself from. So utilize the pentagram in your home diligently. Protect the entrance of your home as well as your bedroom, especially. Now you can perform the microcosmic star as well, in which if you watch this video, you'll see exactly how to perform it. After rituals, you seal your energy. Or after alchemy, you can do the same. Because the pentagram, when you perform it with your body, in combination with imagination, visualization, and prayer, you seal your psychic forces. So it's good to do that after runes, and especially alchemy. Now, black magicians also influence us through enmities. They try to make us the enemies of others. And if we don't master self-control, overcoming and restraining our own mind, we can leave the path easily by getting into a conflict or argument or really negative situation. The solution is to relax and meditate. You can concentrate on the heart of your enemy or someone who's giving you particular struggles and imagine that their heart is a treasure trove of love. 
You want to see the area between the enemy's eyebrows and place your image there filled with compassion, conscious love. You have to re really feel love for them. Otherwise, this won't work. But if the conflict still persists, you can work with the agave americana, the maguey plant. This plant is exceptionally powerful for disintegrating negative thoughts and psychic ties to people. So with this plant, you can get at a garden, uh, I, I was a greenhouse or gardening shop, especially. I know these are more common in Latin America, especially. You trace a circle from right to left, about eight hand spans radius. You can use a branch or a sword for rituals. You want to pray. Cut the leaf or needle of the plant by blessing it. Then you keep the needles of the stems in your hands, in your palms, that you want to carry with you in some kind of bag or pouch in order to invoke the elemental to protect you whenever you need it. Imagine this elemental disintegrating the evil thoughts of the person who is harming you. You want to perform the mantras Libi Ladonines Lenonon, like a bell, resounding like this. Libi Lenonines Lenonon. Libi Lenonines Lenonon. Recite it and sing it with a lot of faith and love. In combination with the Megay, you can work with the mantras clean, Krishnaya, Govindaya, Gobijana, Balabaya, Swaha. The mantra cream attracts solar force and invokes Christ into the body of our earth. Krishnaya reminds us of Krishna, the Christ, relating to our sexual waters. Govindaya is he who is famous on the earth and in the Vedas and amongst the seraphic cows. So Christ tends to the sacred cow or the divine feminine. And this mantra relates to the fires of our heart. Gopi Jana Balabaya literally means he who entrances the gopis. And it's uh, the feminine, divine, the spirit of love in Christ. And this is accomplished through the air, the domination of our mind. Swaha seals the energies, Tipareth, the truth seal or covenant of divine veracity, divine truth. This pentagram or this mantra performs and creates the solar pentagram in the astral plane, which rejects negative forces. You can listen to the audio of this by clicking the link. There are many ways in which we can be tempted, whether through drugs, alcohol, fornication, smoking, even movie theaters and very uh, poor art, degenerated art. As I said, fornication and pornography really sway people easily. And the foundation of Gnosis is to abandon lustful activities. Without this, there is no understanding. Smoking also pollutes the body. So in our teachings, we want to be pure, in our sexual energy especially. Smoking essentially corrupts our capacity to assimilate prana, the force of life. We also know very commonly that alcohol is a poison. It's also unnecessary for self-realization. Yet even one drop can make us leave the path, can lead to many things. Uh, Samal Vera mentions in the book Logos Mantra Theurgy how there are certain initiates who are very strong, who know how to, at a party or a social gathering, have a little bit of alcohol. And he's very specific here, and I'll recite the verse for you. But to drink more than a certain amount is to break the law. 
to create an imbalance in us. Regarding social gatherings, he states, those initiates who have strong will sometimes politely allow themselves to sip or to taste up to three small quantities of liquor or up to three small quantities of beer. They never go beyond three. If they do, they violate the law. Alcohol can resuscitate dead egos. It's a poison for the body, the mind, and the heart. It's also responsible for 50% of murders. So there's nothing really good about it, but I know our society and culture glorifies it, yet we should avoid it. Movies are, as I said, controlled by the Black Lodge especially. Now there are a lot of lustful images in films especially, and also in movie theaters, which uh, infect the mind. Now, people who go to lustful films or watch pornography, as I said, these effigies are basically the lustful images enter the psyche, and then they become mental formations in our own mind, in which the student will copulate with within the mental world when their physical body is asleep. This is how nocturnal pollutions occur. So also the astral environment of theaters and cinemas have a lot of larvae. They're very dense and heavy. So we should abstain from these two. Um, he also mentions that, you know, nightclubs are a big problem. Those are environments that are very lustful and heavy and perverse specifically. So if we want to purify our psychological environment, it's important to be mindful of where we spend our time. We can also work with the prayer of the Lord, the, our Father. If you're really tempted, whether by desire to drink, smoke, or look at pornography or lustful things, to do things you know you shouldn't do, you can pray the Pater Noster. The Pater Noster is especially very powerful in Latin. I won't recite this prayer for you, but you can basically access it via this link, which is a lecture from Gloria in publishing about this topic. There's also many other means of culture that can influence people. We state in these studies that intellectualism is the one of the biggest ways in which people are pulled from the spiritual path because people have reasons and justifications for behaviors that are wrong, especially lust. Why chastity and transmutation are repressive or not expressing our true being, our true potential, but the reality is that such people don't discriminate between their desires and their soul. Very different. We have to follow our conscience. In reality, we have to analyze if these behaviors really bring us joy or if they just bring pleasure. So we have to meditate and reflect on the voice of our own heart, our conscience, to find our zeal and our intuition, not the mind. Because the mind, as you see in this image, is mechanical. It only operates according to prescribed dualistic mechanisms, thesis and antithesis, good and bad, yes and no. It's a machine. It doesn't have real intelligence or autonomy, like the consciousness. We have to learn to use the intellect, but not with desire. That's the thing. But unfortunately, our culture and society today, as you can see in this image, is very much saturated with imagery and impressions that feed the intellect and feed desire. So it's important to learn how to discriminate what we perceive in life, the impressions of the world, and also our own psychology. Another great means that people are led away from the path is false prophets. We'll be very brief with this in that anyone who advises or justifies the orgasm is a demon. 
as Jesus stated, by their fruits you shall know them. From the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verse 16. Such people may have a lot of power and abilities, can control people and nature and influence others. But if they're not following the law of ethics, of transmutation and chastity, it means that their powers are within desire. Therefore, we should really consider avoiding or not associating with such people because they can really manipulate and influence us towards negative behaviors. So the last way of self-defense in this lecture we'll talk about is elementaries. Elementals in nature are not good or bad. They're not evil or positive. They can be, they're really neutral. They're innocent. They don't know morality or ethics or good and bad. They simply are innocent creatures that obey the forces of divinity or even the, the influences of black magicians. So there are many types of elementals that black magicians use. Even the black cat has a, has a terrible reputation, especially today, primarily because of medieval witchcraft and the Inquisition and all sorts of uh, persecutions that occurred against people who utilized the black cat, which is an innocent elemental, a beautiful soul with a lot of magical properties, which is why white and black magicians can utilize them. They obey whoever commands them, but we have to learn how to command those souls with love and with respect for others, respect for the law. Otherwise, we create harm for ourselves. There are elementals that are sent to harm others, like the elementaries or energetic larvae as well. Elementaries can relate to different types of psychic larvae as well, like bats or cabalis, phantasmata, incubi, succubi, dragons, basilisks, aspis, or leos. You can read the book The Elementals by Franz Hartman for more information. Now, we have to remember that masturbation engenders incubi and succubi. These are what push one to fornicate. They drain our vitality. So our home has to be, in, our environment has to be purified with asafoetida smudges, especially. You can put sulfur powder in your shoes to cleanse your psychic aura. And we can burn sulfur in our homes as well, but you have to be mindful that you don't have any plants or living things present in the areas that you're cleansing because the fumes are toxic. So when you burn them, there's a danger of toxicity. But if you put them in your shoes, there's none. So if you don't want to burn sulfur, you can trace powder in your room or your home that you want to cleanse because the fumes in the astral plane will rise up and purify it. I remember once I was in a environment where I wasn't allowed or able to burn sulfur because of neighbors and people. So I took sulfur powder and spread it across certain rooms. And I remember seeing in the astral plane, the wind blowing the ground and out of the dark, I could see the uh, carcasses of dead insects, which were the dead larvae that were killed from the sulfurous fumes that emanated from the dry sulfur powder. Obviously, if you burn sulfur, it's going to be much more powerful because the fire renews nature incessantly, according to some on the earth. So if you want to learn more about elementaries and elementals, you can study the book, The Elementals by Franz Hartman, specifically. Lastly, the best practice you can use to defend yourself and really cut your ties with the Black Lodge is the elemental, the lemon tree. This is used in the book, The Major Mysteries at the end. I'll read for you how to work with this plant. Now, 
specifically the elemental, the lemon tree, is exceptionally powerful. It's very wonderful and you should use it as a last resort if really all, all other options are not working for you. If you're still being attacked really consistently and heavily and severely, this is the best way to really cut your ties. So I'll read for you the directions from the book, The Major Mysteries, and it's a chapter called Invocations. On the ground, trace a circle around a lemon tree. Near the tree, dig a small hole and firmly insert nine small wooden sticks distributed into three groups of three inside the hole and thereafter fill it with water, making a small puddle. You must also light a fire in a portable grill, such as a hibachi. You will then beg the elemental of the lemon tree to serve you. Each lemon tree has its soul in it, which has remarkable power. Using the following procedure, you must throw nine lemons into the fire, one by one. Look physically at the lemon, then pick it and repeat until you have three in hand. Throw them one by one into the fire. Gather three more and repeat until you have thrown nine lemons in the fire. If a lemon explodes, producing an explosion, it is because the black magicians are performing sorcery on you. So command the elemental of that lemon tree to defend you. When fallen into the fire, each one of those nine lemons will explode in the astral plane like a bomb, destroying the works of sorcery from the black magicians. Thereafter, the elemental will come out of the lemon tree and shape-shifting itself in the form of a dog will go and attack the tenorous ones. I've used the lemon tree on different occasions and had exceptional results. I'll relate to you one story to conclude here. How there is uh, one instructor I know at one of our retreats who was being consistently attacked by a group of black magicians who came and were affecting people negatively. He decided to do the ritual of the lemon tree and stated that the next day after performing this practice, one of the members of those black magicians in that group had all sorts of bite marks on his body visibly like visible bite marks that were all over his skin. And obviously that coincides with what Salman Vera mentioned about the elemental, the lemon tree, which is like a canine, like a dog that will attack the tenebrous ones and bite them to reject their negative influences. And it literally manifested in this person's skin, this individual. So very real and very effective. Use them if you need to. In conclusion, we have a book called The Divine Science. I've quoted it in part, especially certain chapters in order to give this lecture. This is the best manual you will find on self-defense against the dark arts. It is a manual literally written from the God of War, Salman Vior, who is the Bodhisattva of the Archangel of Mars who is the God of strength and severity and justice that upholds the purity of the soul and rejects the influence of the ego. So I open up the floor to questions. Here's a question. Doesn't one have to be cognizant in the astral plane to be able to defend against black magic in that plane? How does one develop that technique? Yes, if you want to neutralize a threat, you have to be conscious. So if you're in the astral plane and you're just unconscious and asleep, eight hours go by and you wake up in the morning, it means that we don't know what's going on. And that's the scary thing. We have to be very attentive and conscious and awake. Now, we have different resources on 
our website. We're going to be giving a course on dream yoga, especially. But Glorianne also has a course for free about astral projection and dream yoga, which you can study. There's a book called Dream Yoga, which is a compilation of writings from Samalan Vior, where he explains how to astral project consciously and to be awake in that dimension. So if you want to use these techniques we explained today in the astral plane, of course, you have to be awake in order to use them. So you develop that perception yourself by learning to awaken your consciousness. Study the book Dream Yoga specifically. That will tell you how to learn to develop awareness in that dimension. Another question. How is the sign of the pentagram performed with the right hand? So you want to have your pinky and your ring finger in, uh, folded into your palm, your middle finger, your index finger, and your thumb extended out. So, so if you look at your right hand, you want your thumb, index finger, and middle finger extended up. So those are three points. Those are the head and the two arms of the pentagram. And the lower two feet are the pinky and the ring finger that fold into the palm. That's how you perform the symbol of the pentagram with your right hand. Here's a question. You have discussed the fifth dimension and also on another occasion, the inverted fifth dimension. What are they and more specifically, what is the inverted fifth dimension? So the, the fifth dimension is divided into really a superior and an inferior aspect, which has to do with the qualities of our perception. Now, the superior fifth dimension is known as Hod on the Tree of Life. If you look at the Tree of Life, it's the first sephira on the left pillar referring to splendor, the astral plane, the superior astral dimension. That's where solar initiates go, where they project to. It's a conscious plane that is very positive, that has superior symbolism, and which is, you know, part of the lighter densities of the tree of life. When you ascend up, you go towards more heavenly states. When you descend down into the infernal worlds, the inverted Sephiroth or Klepot, you enter into the hell realms. The inverted fifth dimension is the lunar sphere. It's beneath the tree of life. So that's really the, in the astral plane, you could say, or the inferior astral plane. It's the surface of the earth. Most people wander there when they go to sleep and when they die physically. It's called limbo. Dante defines it as limbo in the Divine Comedy specifically. Now, we tend to go towards the inverted fifth dimension, the lunar sphere, the lunar astral world, which is the sphere of demons and asleep souls, because we have ego. But if you learn to awaken your consciousness, especially, and eliminate your defects, you can learn to vibrate with the superior astral world and learn to have positive, conscious, superlative, divine unconditioned and mystical experiences in those states. So you'll learn the difference by tasting them in meditation, but also when you project there. We have a question. How to protect specifically against nocturnal pollutions? Utilize the prayer and conjurations like Belilin, Conjuration of the Four, Conjuration of the Seven, Invocation of Solomon before you go to sleep every night. Seal your home in a magical circle of protection. Now, these are preventative measures. They're very helpful. But the sickness of nocturnal pollutions is caused by lust. If you're not comprehending your own lustful desires that produce those pollutions themselves, then you cannot be healed. So the solution is to observe and comprehend those defects and to eliminate them in meditation.
deeply. And also if you're working with alchemy, that can help to redirect the sexual energy so that you don't spill when you have a lustful dream. Because with enough training in alchemy, you retrain your body to transmute the sexual energy so that it flows from outward to inward and not the opposite, from inward to out. And that way, even if you have a lustful dream, you will have more control and not necessarily make a mistake, but it's still possible. So the best solution is comprehend your lust. Meditate and annihilate the egos of nocturnal pollutions and avoid filling your mind with media and images that are lustful because those provoke pollutions as well. We have a question. There are angels that work with the pentagram. Could you explain their part? Thank you. Yes. Samal and Vier refers to the angels of the pentagram as the first five archangels within the seven spiritual rays. Moon, Mercury, Venus, the sun, and Mars. He refers to them in the Gnostic Bible as the five helpers. Gabriel, Raphael, Uriel, Mikael, Samael. When we bless gold pentagrams or necklaces, we work with those five angels especially because they represent the five points. Now, the archangels are in charge of many legions of initiates and, and beings, which is summoned when you work with the pentagram. So when you work with the upright pentagram, you are developing those superior energies in yourself because you are asking to channel or basically become a conduit for Christ in yourself. And the pentagram is especially useful as a medallion with seven medals, especially because those medals represent the energetic life force of the seven planetary rays, the spiritual archangels. I know uh, I mentioned that we often don't use minerals in our rituals and practices because those tend to be black magic. But in the case that we do use metals in our practices and rituals has to do with having a pentagram with the seven metals, especially, which are uh, silver, mercury, uh, copper, gold, iron, tin, and lead, relating to those archangels respectively from the moon, Mercury, Venus, the sun, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. The metals are the nervous system of a given planet. And so we can invoke those angels, the five helpers, the pentagram, when we fashion medallions or purchase one and bless them and consecrate them. So we have a question. Is the magical circle traced counterclockwise when doing the McGay plant? Now, when you do a circle of protection around yourself, it doesn't really matter what direction you point. I know uh, a lot of students presented this question to someone on VR and he said, it doesn't really matter basically if you do it from left to right or right to left. Now for the Agave Americana, he does get specific and say, trace the circle from right to left about eight hand spans width or radius. So the important thing is your concentration and your prayer and your visualization and remembrance of your inner divinity. So be mindful of that. That's the important thing when you seal your home. If he's specific in terms of his directions for a particular practice with the plants or rituals, I suggest you follow them because they're very mathematical and precise. Rituals have a lot of power. They're dynamic. They're explosive. And they're very volatile. You have to learn how to control them with perfect serenity and concentration and imagination. Therefore, it's important to adhere to any directions or stipulations that he gave so that we have the best results. We have a question. 
What is the number one reason that someone who has had many conscious travels in the astral and leaving the body could revert back to unconsciousness? I haven't had a real conscious astral experience in about a year. It seems to have been dimmed down. There's a lesson here somewhere. I know it. Yes, this has to do with the fact that awakening and spiritual development does not occur in a evolutionary arc. It happens as a result of individual efforts here and now. And there are periods of ebbs and flow in terms of spiritual experiences. If you study our course on Sufi principles of meditation, we gave a lecture on contraction and expansion, different principles of meditation, as well as absence and presence, which really talk about a lot of these details in a synthetic way in terms of our meditation practice. Now, while consciousness fluctuates in terms of unconditioned and conditioned states, because Obviously, there are periods in which we have a lot of light and periods in which we have a lot of darkness. But the important thing is that we remain consistent during our spiritual nights in which we don't have that vision ready. We feel that we're alone and wandering spiritually in the dark. That happens to everybody. It happens even to the greatest masters, especially because they have to face temptation and trials in order to develop themselves. So oftentimes we revert to unconsciousness because we're not trained. We're We're weak. But fortunately, we have techniques and tools that we can use. And the important thing is to practice regardless of whether or not we see the end goal in sight. So be patient. Remember your experiences. Have faith in them. Don't lose sight of them. But also don't be attached. If you're craving those experiences and attached as a result of desire, it's because we have a condition or ego that's creating our suffering. But having that longing is a normal thing. It's a natural sentiment of the soul. But... Don't strain yourself. Work hard. Train yourself in meditation. And eventually, the light will come back. If we received all the light from our being immediately without enough development and a gradual process of training, we would be annihilated because the light of divinity is so powerful. That's why we have gradual awakenings and experiences here and there when we need them, not when we want them. We have a question. When the home is sealed, do you have to reseal each time you go out and return? Yes. So you seal your home physically with your imagination and visualization. And perhaps you leave the area that you sealed if you go out of your home, or perhaps you seal your bedroom and leave in the middle of the night. You should reseal it when you get back. Now, personally, I like to imagine my, old, my entire home when I visualize and seal because I don't want to have to keep resealing when I'm getting up sometimes at four in the morning or three in the morning. If I have to use the restroom for something, you know, practically speaking, you don't want to keep having to do that. So just seal your home. I recommend uh, ahead of time so that if you need to move about later, you can. And then when you need to leave your home, you can. So when you do break the seal, when you, you do break the seal, when you leave physically the area that you trace. So you do need to reseal it if you want to protect yourself again. We have a question. I've noticed the more you work with your own inner God, you have more protection, even with not doing so much in this way of protection, as long as I'm doing the inner work and being sincere. The only times I've noticed I've been able to be attacked is when my being allowed it to happen, either due to karma or specifically as a learning experience for me to learn my weaknesses or to learn who, why, and or what is attacking me to make me aware. Yeah, that's a really good point. Now, one thing I will mention is that our 
nightlife, not going to clubs or bars, but when you physically go to sleep and perhaps eight hours go by and we don't remember anything, that is a barometer of our psychological state in the day. That means that we're very asleep. Now, we may feel that we're, you know, to a degree safe and protected, which we do receive that as a result of sincerely working on ourselves. The reality is that we do face those conflicts in accordance with karma and the will of divinity as even stated in the Quran that all good and bad comes from Allah. Now, most people who are interested in Gnosis have some degree of ego developed in black magic. It's inevitable because the reality is that if we're interested in these types of studies, it's because we probably delved in witchcraft in a previous life. Some of us may have done it to a greater degree, some of us less. And so we receive those types of experiences as a result of karma, meaning we have to face certain situations and learn from them. So that's a very good valid point that you made. Now, one thing I will mention is that just because we don't sense anything doesn't mean that it's not there. So that's the scary thing that we have to be mindful of. Not, not to be paranoid or really afraid, but it's important that we are cautious and that we take precautions against certain effects or influences in a preventative way. That's the best approach to have. To have. So I mean, if you feel like you're not being attacked, it's good that you do take measures to energetically seal your home and psyche because when the moment does come where you do have that experience, you'll be much more prepared. Have a couple of thank yous, much appreciated. Hello. Hello. Hey. Yeah, so my question was basically, uh, how do I go about talking to somebody who may have a demon possession or, or something or another in that fashion without them uh, getting provoked and angry and lashing out? It's a simple act of talking about it. Uh, makes them lash out. Yeah, I would say the best way you can help someone is to be conscious and have love for them, compassion. You know, sometimes, unfortunately, a lot of our motivations tend to be driven by selfishness, even if it's in spiritual matters, especially, you know, whether you're teaching Gnosis or some other spiritual path or have been studying something like this for some time, we do have defects of mystical vanity and pride which we have to be cautious against but the real solution to help such people is to approach them with love and understanding if they're suffering a lot we can offer solutions like the ones i've been mentioning you know they have to be open to it you know and that's the difficult thing if someone is really suffering a lot is possessed by these negative entities they may feel like there's no solution or that they can't be helped or that what we offer them may not be of benefit. Now we have to respect the will of others, especially, but it doesn't mean we don't make the effort to offer them help. But also we have to be patient in res regarding the response because sometimes people can react and think, Oh, this is just a bunch of crazy stuff. You know, this is a bunch of coldish behavior or, you know, superstition or whatever. We have to respect people's viewpoints. Now, if they really want help, we have to reach them by giving, a, giving them our compassion, especially. You know, that's a psychological attitude that you can only develop 
when you're really meditating on your own defects and eliminating especially pride and anger. You know, when we're really genuine and speaking from our heart, people can sense it and it has a remarkable influence on others. So we have another question. What does it mean that I don't remember my dreams at all for years, but my brother can remember every dream in astral and lucid dream that can actually dream of what I'm doing in my waking hours and does there seem to be a way to the path of uh, sevens or the seven spiritual influences we could say. Some people in the past or in past lives have developed psychic abilities. I know a lot of times we like to think that certain people are gifted, that they received some kind of boon from the gods. But the truth is that usually people who have a lot of dream recall and memory and astral experiences is because they once worked with certain spiritual teachings that develop that. Now, if we can't remember our dreams or we struggle to remember what we're doing in our waking hours, it's because we are very conditioned by our own psyche. We have, in many cases, obscured our own potential. But those are rectifiable. We can change that. We can develop our own abilities again or recapitulate our past development by working again with these methods. So. It's important not to be jealous of people who have those type of abilities. And I'm not saying that this is necessarily your case, but you know, oftentimes we may get frustrated with our own selves because we feel like other people are doing it, but I'm not. The reality is that we're all at our own level of being and we have our own karma to pay. Some people may have the right to have those experiences, but we may have to work and earn and even maybe even suffer a bit in order to have it. But we should be patient with our circumstances and learn to work effectively with where we're at. That's the best way in order to really ascend the spiritual path and work with the seven primary virtues. Because remember that the law of seven, according to the Tarot, relates to seven archangels, but also the seven demons, as I said, or seven capital sins, but also the seven virtues. So it's important to remember those virtues, but also to eliminate the seven primary sins or defects so that we can give birth to genuine. Love, virtue, chastity, compassion, altruism, philanthropy, humility, faith, and ourselves. So uh, continuing with the former question. So thank you. You know, I went, uh, also want to know, how can I remove demons from other people? Because the simple act of talking about demonology brings these people to rage and anger and they lash out. Yes, obviously people have their own presuppositions and beliefs and we have to respect them. You know, if people are open to learning, we can offer these teachings. Uh, obviously, we can't necessarily remove a person's demons that's afflicting them. Now, it's a subtle teaching in relation to exorcisms and conjurations. I know there's the conventional belief that a person who's possessed is, is influenced by external demons, which can be true. But the only reason that a victim can be hurt is because they have their own egos that allow for that. That's the weakness that black magicians capitalize upon in order to inflict harm. So while we can protect their environment and cleanse their aura there's certain prayers and conjurations through exorcisms through cleansings that's basically 
like giving them a shower after they've been dirty for a while. You know, that's a very external thing, but while it may seem superficial, obviously hygiene is important for many things. We feel better even physically with taking regular showers. You know, hopefully people are taking care of themselves and brushing their teeth, doing what they need to do because these are ways that we respect other people in society through cleanliness, but also has to do with keeping a positive state of mind. Now you can do all these things, whether even physically through routines and health and hygiene and even psychological or psychic and spiritual hygiene by doing prayers and conjurations, but that's not going to remove the fundamental problem of a person's psychological afflictions. We can't remove the ego of another person. We can purify their environment and help them not be influenced by other entities. But so long as that person has pride and anger and envy and hatred and lust, they're going to hate whatever we may have to say, especially whether it's about demonology or other things. So we have to respect other people and approach them with conscious love, with compassion, and offer solutions when they are open to it or not forcing our own way of thinking on others. Because I, I know we're eager to really help people by teaching these type of things because it really changes who we are in, in a positive way. But the best way we can help others is by example, not by being, according to the biblical narrative, the Pharisees of the temple who become very proud. And I know we may have good intentions, but our ego, we have to be very careful with because our good intentions can be the impetus and the mask by which we harm other people. This is why Samalan Vayar stated that crime often hides itself within the perfume of prayer. We have to be very critical of our own desires. And when we're more selfless, we can help people more effectively. We have a question. How do we define lying? If I am honest, that is just my opinions. I don't know the real truth. And I would just insult people probably. And if I go about telling everyone my intention, I can get manipulated by more selfish people. Is there a line between untruths and lies? Lying has to do with, in esoteric terms, not representing reality. Obviously, there's some gray area in terms of what we determine is real. Primarily because we have 97% subjective reasoning or ego. The ego or self only sees reality in accordance with his desires. And therefore, in a you know, truly disturbing statistic, we can say that 97% of the time we are invested with lies. And this is the terrible reality we have to be facing in ourselves and to confront. Now, we lie when we, in truth, don't perceive the truth. The force of the father in the intellectual brain, we could say in Gnostic psychology, relates to the father, the truth. When we understand reality as it is to a, whatever degree possible, and we don't represent that accurately, we lie. We distort our honest perceptions and our experiences of life, no matter how flawed or unconditioned they may be. Now, when you lie, whether it's saying something that's not accurate in representation to a certain phenomena or event, we are in truth distorting the energies of the father within our intellectual brain. People who lie a lot, who don't really have any honesty or integrity with themselves, 
end up having lots of problems, whether socially, maritally, emotionally, psychologically, especially. The word integrity means to integrate, to be one, to be unitary. The consciousness is unitary. The being is unitary. But our multiplicity of defects are not. So our multiple selves and egos, aggregates, desires, lust, pride, vanity, anger, hatred, morbidity, shame, selfishness, etc. That constitutes a multiplicity of identities. There's no integration there. It is not a unified whole, but a multiple uh, imperfect unity. A multiple expression of many defects, a legion of demons, we can say. We have many legions in our psychology. And so anytime we act on an ego, we are, in a sense, we're lying in the ultimate objective meaning of the term. But we have to begin this path where we're at. We can't begin like saints. The liar becomes a saint by being honest with him or herself. Confronting what is real and objective and perceptive, unconditioned. And what is just conjecture? What is opinion? What is a half-truth that the mind tells us? And this is how people easily become manipulated. It's because they don't discriminate their own psychology. What is subjective to their own reality or perception and what is objectively real spiritual we could say so i know sometimes we may feel hesitant to tell our intentions to people and obviously we have to be careful not expressing our ego so that we don't get manipulated so we could say that an untruth or a lie there really is no demarcation between it's the same thing you learn how to follow Truthful action by following your conscience, your heart, your intuition. Any other final questions? Yes, I just want to say thank you. It was very, so much in this lecture, like just lots of nuances of of feeling and um, experience. So it was really helpful. Um, I want to just ask one small question. I have an, some elder friends in their 80s, one of them who watches my dog in the day and cuddles with them for an hour. <laughs> and um, her husband's really sick. And I um, was wondering when you're praying for those that are struggling with their health and stuff like that, do they have to know? Because I don't think they'd really be so into like a lot of the things I just experienced tonight with you with some of the prayers. I think they would think it was witchcraft and crazy, even though they're Christians and everything. Um, do, are So when you're praying for others, do they always have to participate and know, or can, is it, being like not having respecting their will if they don't know that you're have that intention for them and willing to you know accept it or how does that work great question you can perform those rituals and practices without them knowing now whenever i perform any type of ritual for healing or protection for myself or others i always pray to my inner divinity to help the person in accordance with the law in accordance with his will, mm -hmm. not mine. Primarily because our will can't right. be trusted. But if you yeah. perform the practice for healing, you have to do it in remembrance that this person has their own process. 
in accordance with karma right. and that right. they're going to face whatever they have to face regardless. But if our own compassionate understanding and love for them, our conscious love can be a benefit, obviously our prayers are going to be effective. Now we can pray for their well-being and perform the ritual for them in secret. And they don't have to know anything about it physically. You know, personally, I don't tell people when I do certain practices, when I want to help certain relationships. You know, I just do it in silence, in secret, because those things may be judged. They may be, you know, labeled witchcraft or whatever, you know, due to right. people not being educated or experienced. But by their fruits, you will know them. Look at the results. Mm -hmm. You know, we have to give our conscious efforts and works for humanity, but without expecting any particular results. But you know, allowing divinity to take care of it. But hopefully we can become a better vehicle for that facilitation and that healing. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Any other questions? We have a comment here. I found reading the story of the Buddha was really helpful as there was lots of living examples of concepts which have been a great help. Comprehending how we lie to ourselves and all the ways we do it, why we do it, and what we think it gives us versus what we were hoping it would do enables us to begin to understand what lying is and how not to do it, etc. This helps us to see how others lie and to understand as well and have more compassion for ourselves and others. The more inner work we do, the comprehending and comprehending the ways we do lie to ourselves gives us experience of truth we slowly gain comprehension of the wisdom we are yearning to comprehend. I agree with you. You know, the more ethics and development we have and working on our own defects and egos, the more understanding of others we can have in ourselves. Yes. Hi again. I had another question. I really loved hearing the singing because I know I've heard lots of classes about that some things should be sung but i don't really know how to sing sing it and so sometimes i just do it on my own but it's always kind of experimental and awkward and takes away from my focus and i and maybe that's okay that it should just be experimental in my own ways or maybe it should be a certain melody that is particular to the prayer so I was just wondering, I tried to sing along with you and take voice memos <laughs> of some of the things I was able to do, but not others. But do you, will this, is this recorded somewhere so that we can listen to it again? Or is there somewhere where like the Beleline prayer is sung somewhere that we can listen to again? Sure. Yeah, we have, these lectures are uploaded to chicagonosis.org. This is going to be in the course Spiritual Self-Defense. And then you can also access okay. on our website, there's a section for practices that we have, you know, recordings of certain mantras and prayers, you know, at length. So you, okay. you can access all of that online. I'll include uh, a link to that in the chat box. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Any final comments or questions? So uh, I thank you all for coming. Appreciate the attendance. I know we ran over a lot. And uh, I'm really appreciative of the questions you put forth because they help us go deeper into these subjects.
more about the knowledge covered in this lecture, we invite you to study the books available through Glorian Publishing or GnosticTeachings.org. You can also view free online courses, lectures, transcriptions, and articles available at ChicagoGnosis.org. All of this is made possible by the support of listeners like you. Have you benefited from this knowledge? Help others by making a tax-deductible donation at chicagognosis.org. We thank you for listening. We hope that these lectures aid you in developing your complete and divine potential. May all beings be happy. May all beings be joyful. May all beings be in peace.